Lord, what have I done? I've been doing what I want and living on my own terms. I've disregarded your plan for my life and I feel lost. For years, I've wrestled with this decision. I've told myself it's far too late. I've gone too far. But today, I'm ready to come home. Good morning, happy Easter Waters Church. How many know that Jesus is the main event on this morning? Not just this morning, but every morning. And it is a wonderful privilege to be here with you. The weather's getting warmer, the sky is getting brighter, and Jesus is alive. Amen. Welcome to everybody here for the first time. My name is Tim. I'm the location, location. I'm the pastor of this church, and I'm so glad to have that opportunity. It is a privilege and an honor to bring you the Word of God today. And we want to say good morning and welcome to our locations, Apollo Beach, Woonsocket, Guatemala, uh, future South Coast location, Norwood. Anyone else watching around the world online and on YouTube, let us know where you're watching from in the comments below. Like, subscribe. We appreciate it. And everybody here is going to let you know we love you and you are part of us. Come on, let's welcome them in. And you welcome us in. Welcome home. I'm in a message series. I'm closing out a message series called Come Home. And we've been looking at the story of the prodigal son, Jesus' most potent, most memorable, most beloved story in all of Scripture. I want you to take out your Bibles. If you have a Bible, hopefully you do. If you don't have a Bible on you, take out a smartphone and go to a Bible app. If you want to, download one real quick because you feel guilty right now. Go ahead and do it. Uh, in-house, uh, we have these notes that we hand you on the way in. Make sure you pull them out and fill in the blanks, and uh, we will have some things to share about Easter today. Uh, we are talking about Easter, and the title of my message is the theme of my message, The Supposed to Sunday. The Supposed to Sunday. And Luke 15 is where we're going to go in just a moment, so make sure that you get there with your Bibles as soon as you can. Some days are supposed to days. Uh, is anybody like me that you, um, you always forget what day you're supposed to put out the trash receptacles? Anybody like me on that? I, I forget. I have two reminders in my phone. One in the morning, tomorrow's trash day. One in the evening, tonight, put out the trash because tomorrow's trash day. And still, I forget what day I'm supposed to put out the trash cans. I wake up, my head comes off the pillow. Oh, no. That's today. I run outside, and the truck is already gone, you know. And so there you go. I have to find somewhere else to dump my trash. Forgive me if I've used a dumpster somewhere near you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, how many know there are supposed to seasons? Like December is the supposed to what season? Supposed to buy gifts. Y'all celebrate Christmas around here? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Christmas shopping season. July 4th coming up. That's the supposed to set off illegal fireworks day. How many love you some illegal fireworks in Massachusetts? Hopefully you're not sitting next to a police officer right now. Then, then two days ago, I don't know if you were, knew this, but it was supposed to file your taxes day. Some of you are like, I got to leave church right now. I forgot about that. Uh, and then all the husbands in the house, you know that there is one day of the year that you can't afford to forget. All the husbands. What day? Mother's Day. <laughs> leave and cleave, my friend. Leave and cleave. 
your anniversary. For every man is different. And if you forget that day, she's supposed to not give you sex that night. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You got to remember that day. That day's important. Supposed to day. That's supposed to day. I'm supposed to show my wife that I really, really love her on that day. Amen. Well, every day, but nonetheless. There are supposed to days all throughout the year. This is the supposed to go to church day. The supposed to go to church day. It's Easter. Supposed to. And I wonder who's here today simply because you're supposed to. Like, you know, you weren't here last weekend, and you're probably not going to be here next weekend, so I don't feel bad about offending you for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> and, and this is the day. This is the day that we're supposed to remember that Jesus is alive. We're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to be excited. But I, I wonder who here, man, you started your life with God so on fire, so excited, but, but somewhere along the way, you kind of tapered off in the excitement. You kind of got a little bit into the routine of life. Or maybe you had kids, or maybe you got married, or maybe you got a new job, or maybe you got just so overwhelmed with life. And before you knew it, what used to be a get-to Sunday, I get to worship Jesus, I get to go and celebrate the Lord is alive, became a supposed to day. Became a day where, oh, yeah, it's Easter. We're supposed to go. Let's go. Let's pack up the kids. Come on. Let's get into the car. Let's try not to fight on the way to church. <laughs> you know that you do that, right? You fight all the way. Cats and dogs. <laughs> Come into the church. Hi, how are you? Happy Easter. Good to see you. <laughs> That's what we do. It's supposed to Sunday. And, and I want to talk to the supposed to saints today because like Chris just said up here in North Attleboro, and I'm sure Kenny and, uh, and Jim and the other location pastors have talked about this, um, we do this every week. Every week Jesus is alive. Every week, Jesus saves. Every week, we get to celebrate that this life might stink, but it is not the final act in our story. There is coming a great redemption. Jesus is going to crack the sky. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm excited for that day. I don't got to. I don't, I don't have to worship Jesus. I get to worship Jesus. And I want to encourage you to come back. We're going to start a series called Last Days Next Week. You don't want to miss that series. But, but I just I want to just say this. And like I said, I don't feel bad about offending the supposed to people today. Because it's possible to be in church and miss heaven. It's possible to go to church on your supposed to days and not even make it to the courts of heaven. I don't want that for you, and no, neither does the Lord. And we're talking about Luke 15, probably Jesus' most famous story. Luke 15, the story of a father and two sons, and we call this story the story of the, fill in the blank? Prodigal son, yeah. But it's actually the story of two prodigal sons. Two, not one, two. The first one is the obvious one, the rebel. The one who says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I want you dead, and I want my life. I want to do my life on my terms. And I'm going to go out there and get myself a life without you because you have held me back long enough. And I don't know who I'm talking to in all of our locations, but there's a few rebels in the house, I'm sure. A few rebels. Any rebels in the house? You're scared to say it, aren't you? You're scared. You don't want to be judged. You know why you, you, know why you don't want to say anything? Because you're probably sitting next to an older brother or an older sister. Because remember, that boy came to himself. He ran out. He got 
wild and wasted and wasted his father's possessions and slept around and did all the things the devil convinces us is so much fun. And he ended up feeding pigs. He ended up enslaved. Like a lot of you, you were enslaved. You started out thinking, let me just smoke that, let me just drink that, let me just go there. And then before you knew it, you were stuck, trapped, enslaved to what was formerly fun. And the Bible says that he came to himself and he realized that his father's servants had it better than him. And so he made a pact. He made a commitment. I'm going to come back and I'm going to hire myself out to my father. And he has this prepared speech. And it's a beautiful story. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And he's on the way back to the house. And he only gets these words out because the father runs him. And he only gets the words, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. And he can't even say, make me like one of your servants. The father interrupts him because he's not going to make him a slave. He's going to restore him as a son. And he says, quick, quick, bring the best robe, put it on, and put sandals on his feet, ring on his finger, and kill the fattened calf, because my son is alive again. Let's celebrate, because God loves to throw a party. You know why you love parties? Because you're made in the image of God who has a party planned for the end of the world. When all this mess is over, we're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the heavenly wedding banquet, and we're going to celebrate until forever in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's the end. That's how it ends. It ends with a party. And the party is going on, and we love that story because some of us were rebels, and some of us were prodigals, and we came back, and we resonate with that story. We love that story, and maybe you're here, and you're the prodigal, and I don't want you to miss the fact that God is always ready and willing to forgive you. Always. You can't out the grace of God. I don't know who I'm talking to, but you need to hear that. You can't out-sin God's grace. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more, Romans chapter 6 says. So you can't out-sin God. And he is ready and willing to forgive you as soon as you come home. He wants to throw a party for you. But then there is this other boy in the story. And we're going to talk about him. Would you stand with me at all of our locations? Stand with me for the reading of God's word. Why do we stand every Sunday? Because when we read this text, we do not read the words of men. We read the words of God. And so in honor of that, we say, speak, Lord. And here's what it says in verse 25 of Luke, 20, of Luke 15. Now his older brother, or his older son, sorry, was in the field... And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was, what? Angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has wasted your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, or in the Greek, my child, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, speak to your servants. Speak to your people. Speak to the children. 
that you have called to yourself. Help my words to be what you want them to be. And may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and help us to see Jesus. In his name we pray and everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Henry Nowen is a name you want to be familiar with as a Christian. He was a Catholic, but he was a contemplative Catholic. He was a powerful theologian. He was a priest. He was a scholar. He was an academic. And he was a prolific writer. He advanced in the study of theology beyond all of his peers. He held prestigious positions in the academies of Yale, Notre Dame, and Harvard. This guy reached the pinnacle of theological success. And at age 54, Henry Nowen resigned his tenured position at Harvard Divinity, moved himself to Toronto, Ontario, moved into a home for the mentally disabled, and spent the last 10 years of his life ministering to those people in absolute unknown in an absolute uh, undercover. He, no one knew. And, and, and the question is, what would inspire a man with so much to his name, to his credit, so much reputation to just give it up at 54 and go and live in obscurity with those who no one cared about? Well, Back up in the story, and he had taken a vacation. Well, not a vacation. He, took it, he had taken a year-long sabbatical while he was a professor at Harvard, and he went to Paris, France, uh, to another location of ministering to the um, mentally disabled. And on the secretary's door, he saw a poster. And the poster was a rendition of Rembrandt's painting, The Return of the Prodigal. And he was so moved by it. He looked at it for uh, several minutes, and he realized that he, he needed to go see the real painting, the original, painted in the 17th century by Rembrandt, a, a man who collected massive works of art. His wife died of tuberculosis. He lost three of his four children, and only one survived, and he even died before that. Uh, that son even died before him, and then he died in absolute poverty. But now he lives in infamy, in, in world fame, as one of the greatest portrait painters ever, Rembrandt. And, and so Henry Nowen, through connections with friends, managed to secure travel to St. Petersburg, Russia, then Leningrad under Soviet communism, but now back to St. Petersburg. And he went to the Hermitage Museum, and, and through other connections, he was able to secure private time to stand before this painting, the, the, the Return of the Prodigal. And for eight hours a day, for an entire week, Henry Nowen stared at that painting, one painting, and it brought tears to his eyes, and he watched as the sun cascaded through the windows across the painting, highlighting different portions of the painting as the day progressed, and he couldn't get over this painting. It struck him in the heart, and I want to put a picture of this painting on the screen for you. This is what, what he was overwhelmed with. And, and Rembrandt was known uh, to break new ground in the artistic world because he introduced the idea of creating light in, in, in portraits and in oil paintings to represent the, the places that you're supposed to focus on and then leaving some portions black so as to draw your attention there and draw out a contrast. And using artistic license, he brings together the father and the son on the left-hand side of the painting. But on the right-hand side of the painting, you've got the older brother. Artistic license, because we know from the story, the older brother is out in the field. So to represent the older brother, he just has him standing there. 
And his use of light has got to be paid attention to because what do you see? Where's the brightest, where's the brightest part of the painting? It's, it's on the top left forehead of the father. And it kind of cascades down the right side of his face, down across his beard, through his arms, over his hands, onto the back of the prodigal son, kneeling, disheveled, his head shaved, the symbol of shame in that society, his clothing wrecked. Look at his feet down at the bottom, one sandal off, one sandal wrecked on the right side. And, and all of the light there is meant to draw you into the fact that the Father receives us back as we are. It's a beautiful moment, and, and Henry and Alan talks about how for hours he just reveled in the grace and the mercy of God for lost prodigals. But, but then if you shift your eyes, as you're supposed to, to the right side of the painting, the only other area that is truly illuminated is the face of the older brother. And his representation, the same as the father, beard, head covering, red robe, very well-dressed, and the, and the light cascades down across his robe to his hands, not open, but folded closed. And then down to the bottom of his robe, and you see there's a staff in his hand that reaches all the way down to the ground, and you see his feet well put together with proper shoes on. And, and what you're supposed to see is the father who looks like the older brother, and the older brother who looks like the father are responding completely different to the return of the prodigal. That though they looked similar, they couldn't be farther apart. And then notice something else about artistry. Uh, usually in art, works of art from the 17th century, the middle of the painting is supposed to be the center focus. Uh, whatever's in the middle of the painting, that's supposed to be your focus. And if you look at this painting, what do you see in the middle? You see what? Darkness. And Henry Nouwen talks about how Rembrandt did that on purpose to draw this idea, to, to, to illustrate this concept of, of how much distance, how much space was between the father and the older brother. And then if you're a biblical theologian at all, if you've read Luke chapter 15 at all, you realize that, that Jesus told the story of the return of the prodigal son, not for the prodigals who were returning alone, but for the older brothers who refused to receive them. It says that the tax collectors, in the first verse of Luke 15, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders grumbled and said, this man eats with sinners and receives them. And in that light, to that context, Jesus shares the story of the prodigal son. And Rembrandt captures all of it in this beautiful work of art. And, and, and Henry Nouwen talks about the fact that his life, if he was to be absolutely honest, his life was more like that of the older brother than the younger. I mean, he was a religious scholar. He had always done what he was supposed to do. He was a good man, a moral person, a good person, and on top of all that, a biblical theologian. And successful. And he realized that all of his success in biblical scholarship had elevated to him to a place at Harvard Divinity School that had separated him from the work of the ministry, the actual reality of the gospel, where lost people come and find hope. And on returning from St. Petersburg, enjoying that painting for a solid week, he resigned his position and moved to Toronto and helped the mentally disabled until the day of his death in 1996.
But he left us with a wonderful book titled The Return of the Prodigal that unpacks all the details of that moment. And he writes in that book, not only did the younger son who left home get lost, but the one who stayed home also became a lost man. On the outside, he did all the things a son is supposed to do. But interiorly, he wandered away from his father. I don't know about you, but there is a huge difference between get to and supposed to. I don't, I don't know where you are on the spectrum of coming to God. Prodigals over here. Older, dutiful sons over here. Can I tell you the gospel speaks to both sons? To the one who has gone out and, and wandered and done his own thing, the gospel says you can be forgiven. And to the one who's been good and moral and upright and a good citizen, a, a, a nice put together person, can I tell you that all your goodness, the Bible says, all your righteousness and all your morality is not enough to make you acceptable before God. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you just as much as the prodigals do. And sometimes, if I'm honest, as a preacher, it is so much easier to talk to the prodigals and the wayward children than the religiously put-together moral people because the religiously put-together moral people think that it is what they do that makes them right before God. And i got to tell you today, it has nothing to do with that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. And I want to ask you, if you become an older brother, are you supposed to saint? Are you supposed to saint? I mean, you're here on Easter Sunday, the supposed to Sunday. And let me just offend you a little bit longer. <laughs> write this down if, if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. You become an older brother when you serve but don't celebrate. When you serve but don't celebrate. What I mean by that is you do the right thing. You serve. In Jesus' story, where do, we meet the, where do we first encounter the older brother? Where is he located? In the field. Verse 25, now his older son was where? In the field. The field symbolizes what? Work. He's probably getting up every morning. Got to go out to that field. Why? Supposed to. Dad wants me to. Got to go fix that plow for the 15th time. Got to do it. Why? Supposed to. What I do is what I do. The old man doesn't take any notice, but that's what I do. Out in the field, and then he drew near. Notice, he never goes in the house. He draws near to the house, and this is very intriguing. He heard music and dancing. Has anyone in all of our locations ever heard music and dancing? Just raise your hand real quick. Just raise your hand. Okay, yeah, yeah. We've all heard it. Look what he does, though. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. How dry and stuffy do you have to be <laughs> to not recognize what music and dancing mean? It means something good just happened. But he's so disconnected from joy. He's so disconnected from celebration. He has no idea. Do you know why? Because he's too busy trying to build a life for himself. He's so busy. He's raising kids to be good citizens. He's you know, being a good husband, he's doing good things for the community. He's a good person. 
He's your average American sitting on the PTA committee. <laughs> putting his garbage out on the right day of the week. <laughs> and he's so locked up in his service to the Father, he has no connection with the heart of the Father. I don't even know what music and dancing means. That's because you're too busy trying your hardest to be a good person. That makes you a miserable Christian, I tell you. It makes you a miserable religious elitist. But the Bible says very clearly that you don't get saved by your work. Ephesians 2, 8, I just said it. Grace, you've been saved through faith, not your own doing. The gift of God, not a result of what? Works. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. I'm good enough. How do you know? What is good enough? And what you think is good is different from what foreigners think is good. So why don't you think for a second, what's the level of goodness that you need to attain? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, he said the level is this, perfect. You need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Does anybody got that down? None of us, including yours truly. We can't be perfect. If we were able to be good enough, Jesus never would have died. He died because we're not good enough. He died to get you forgiven of all your sins and to bring you and make you good enough, not through your works, but through his grace. And when you know that, there's joy to be had. There's gladness to be had to know that because the sinless Savior died, my life is now resurrected and sanctified and brought to new life. And Jesus is all that I need to get through the courts of heaven and past the pearly gates and to enter into eternal joy and celebrate with my Father for all eternity. That's it. But so many Christians and so many churches, entire denominations, have no joy. Have no joy. You think I'm amped up for Easter? I'm like this every week. <laughs> because it's always Easter Sunday in my mind. And I think about some churches, they're so dead. You wonder if they've ever met Jesus. He liked a good party. He went to the wedding of Cana, not to perform a miracle, but to just have fun. I'm pro-fun. Give me a politician who wants to run on the platform, make America fun again. I'll vote for that guy. <laughs> Where, where's the fun? The fun's been gone for two years. We need to bring the fun back. We need to bring the happiness back. We need to bring the joy back. You've seen what happens when the fun's gone. We attack each other. We hate each other. We point at each other. We need to bring the fun back. When we were building out this location here in North Attleboro, I remember we had a, a grumpy old curmudgeon of a contractor. His name was Dave, and he was a funny guy. And we would go in and we would say, hey, Dave, how's it going? And he would go, miserable. <laughs> okay, Dave, well, keep going. <laughs> curmudgeon. And, he, and we were showing him the cafe and what it was going to look like at the end. He's like, man, I'll tell you, you Protestants, you have it over us Catholics every day. I said, why? He goes, at my church, as soon as the pastor says the final benediction, it's foof to the door. I'm like, yeah, well, we like to have a party. We like to celebrate. We do it at all of our locations. You know, hang out, have some coffee, get to know some people, joke around like that's what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to have fun. 
So yesterday we had the egg drop here in North Attleboro. We've had egg hunts at all of our locations, and some curmudgeons love to say, hey, sir, it's not about eggs and bunnies. It's about Jesus. Well, yes, it is, but the eggs and the bunnies make it fun. <laughs> I'm pro-fun. Uh, it is not sinful to crack an egg and give a prize. Amen. <sighs> So I'm on the way out to the big egg drop, and I'm on the I'm on the way out in the office area early in the morning yesterday, and I and I see sitting in a box is the Easter Bunny costume, and I think, why not? <laughs> what do I have to What do I have to ask? Oh, that's right, nobody. I'm the lead pastor. <laughs> so I drop down to my skivvies and I put the thing on real quickly. I first went into the bathroom, dropped down to my skivvies, put the thing on. And I thought to myself, this is going to be fun. I'm going to go out there with the 1,500 kids waiting for the egg drop. And I'm going to mingle, pat some kids on the head, hug some people, dance around as the Easter Bunny. I was mistaken. <laughs> I got five feet out the door. And a rushing stampede of six-year-olds and soccer moms came flying toward me. <laughs> I immediately thought, I've made a horrible mistake. It was like Kim Kardashian showing up at a porn convention. <laughs> it's like Justin Bieber showing up at junior prom. Okay, that's better. Lord forgive him for he knows not what he does. Anyway, suddenly a line forms and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is gonna be horrible. The little kid, little rugrats are touching me, prodding me, poking me. Suddenly I also remembered I don't even like children. This is what it feels like to be a ride at Disney. This is awful. And we have a video of it here on the screen, and I, you can see I'm hugging and hanging out. But this is the line. Look at the line. Look at the line. It was like that for an hour. Then I was up in a helicopter, and I was dumping eggs out. Sweating from the top of my head to my feet. Well, you know... <laughs> it's good to have fun. That wasn't fun, but, you know, it was all right. Anyway, man, I was suddenly all, this, all these thoughts started to flood as I was thinking about this weekend's message, and I, and I realized that there was two kind of kids that day coming up to the Easter Bunny. The, the kids who couldn't wait to come and hug me and touch me and take a picture with me, and then the kids whose parents had to push them to, to me. They were like, no, no. No. And man, some of you moms, you are so persistent. Why don't you discipline the same way you try to get them to the Easter Bunny? For heaven's sake. I'll be like, all right, you know, the kid doesn't want anything to do with this. Just shoo him away. That's fine. One kid tried to pick up my shoe and see if it was me underneath. I swatted him away like an empty egg. Anyway. Those are two kinds of kids. The kids who wanted to be there and the kids who were forced to be there. The kids who got to be there and the kids who are supposed to be there. And then I thought, this is what God feels like. This is what God feels like. There, and do you know which kids had to be pushed? The older kids. What is it about life that the older we get, the less we celebrate? When was the last time you just really just had a good celebration day? Like that 
had nothing to do with doing work or trying to be a good person or, you know, putting, you know, your best image of yourself on Instagram and then two hours later checking how many likes you got. When was the last time you did something fun not for anyone else to see it? But just because you knew that you were a child of the Most High God, He loves you. He made the sun to rise. He's going to bring you home to be with Him. And you know what this world is made for? This world is made for His glory, not yours. So enjoy it to the glory of God. Like that. And then to come to church and not to be the kid who has been. Fathers, are you one of those fathers? Are you one of those fathers that the wife has to hold your hand to get you to church? Why don't you just kiss your Christian kids goodbye? Why don't you just kiss their chances of faith goodbye? Why don't you be the man of the house and wake up early and get your kids out of bed and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't like this sermon, so if I don't like this sermon, you need it. Got to get back to what faith is all about. It's about the joy of the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So all the earth. Now, I got a question for you. Are you part of all the earth? Yes. So this verse applies to you. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with what? Singing. Like this is, this is commanded. Notice that the verse doesn't say, if you feel like it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's commanded. And I think on Easter Sunday, of all Sundays, I have permission to, to ask you, to, to command you this verse upon you. Can, can we, at all occasions, make a joyful noise to the Lord on the count of three? On Easter? All right, let's, let's see if we got it in us. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> yes! Hallelujah! The psalmist says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Notice that it doesn't say I was glad when they said to me, let us go watch the Patriots. <laughs> or the Bucks. No, I was glad when I said, when they said, let's go to church. Yes. If you've been miserable at church, let me just tell you, you've been at the wrong church. You know the scripture, the, the Bible book that has the most terms of celebration in it? You'll never believe it. What Bible book talks about celebrating the most? You'll never guess. Leviticus. Yet that's the book you skip when you try to read through the Bible in a year. <laughs> because there's, there's a command in the scriptures of Leviticus to say, come to the Lord's house three times a year and celebrate for seven straight days. Three times a year. The Jews from all over were supposed to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And on the first day of the week, they would have a solemn celebration, a day of rest. Imagine if we just said to the whole nation, hey, everybody just rest. Now, you know what I'm saying? Let's shut the Wi-Fi off for 24 hours. Some of you be like, I would never rest if that was the case. But this is what Israel is supposed to do. And, and it says, when you gather in the produce of your land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord Seven days. Man, we go to, we go to parties for four hours, we're done. The, the Jews were like, seven days, man. It's biblical. 
you're an older brother if you serve but you don't celebrate. If you do the good things but you don't have any joy in it. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. Back to the text in Luke 15, 27, it says, And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Verse 28, but he was what? And he refused to go in. I want to just see this picture of a man just getting so stuffy and mad. I don't want to go in. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you become an older brother when you obey out of obligation. Supposed to church. Supposed to do. Supposed to be. This is what the brother was about. This is what the older brother was about. This, the true prodigal of this story. Now listen to these words in verse 29. And all the parents in the house, could you just imagine if your child was saying this to you? Look, these many years I have served you. Now the word serve is softened there in the ESV. The real, the real word in Greek is doulos. It means to be a slave. So literally he says, look, father. These many years I have slaved for you. Imagine, parents, your child saying that to you. And I never disobeyed your command. Liar. <laughs> Anyone who's had kids knows that's not possible. And you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Wow. Here, here's what it means to obey God out of obligation. Because you think that if you're a good person, that God automatically is required to give you good things. Some, some of you think, well, I went to church on Easter Sunday. I'm due for a good week. <laughs> no, you know, that's just, that's just sanctified selfishness. That's what that is. If you, do, if you serve God, if you do the good things that God wants you to do, so that God will give you the things that you want to have, the question is, who are you really serving? It's you. That's what this boy's problem, that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders' problem was. That's why they had such a hard time with Jesus hanging out with sinners. How dare he give them good things? You're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not an older brother. Okay, let me do a couple tests from his words. Notice the frustration in his life. Look, these many years I've slayed for you. Frustrated. You ever been frustrated with God? Frustrated. Where are you? Don't you see what I'm doing? Frustration is the root of the heart of an older brother who obeys out of obligation and not out of the joy that God has rescued you from sin and hell and death. Secondly, the pride of his heart. I never disobeyed. I am a good person. I'm a good son. Don't you notice? Pride. Don't you understand that the original sin was not Eve eating the fruit, but Satan trying to take God's place in heaven. I will ascend, Isaiah 14. I will arise. I will make myself like the most high. I deserve. I am a good angel. And God cast him out of heaven like lightning. Why? Because of pride. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. That is an older brother attitude. And then you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That's resentment. Resentment. Some of you are there with God. He lets all the people I love die. He takes all the good things away from me. He never lets me have anything that I really, really want. 
But you get him. You get him. And Job had that experience. Everything that he had and everything that he earned and everything that he loved was taken away from him. But he said these words, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. If you've got God, you've got all that you need. And, 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 and resentment, man, that is a poison pill for a lot of people in, a, in America. Again, you say, I'm so glad I'm not an older brother. Um, have you ever believed or have you ever thought that God blessed someone who didn't deserve it? You're an older brother or an older sister. Why does God keep letting them get all that stuff? I don't understand. I know them. No, you don't. You don't know them and you don't know you. Because there's wickedness in your heart and my heart that I don't even understand. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? No one can know it. No one can know the true depths of your ability to cause harm to others. Only God does. And yet in knowing that, he realized that he had to do something about it and sent Jesus to die for it. This is older brother syndrome. And, and notice that his complaint. You never gave me. You never gave me. Why did he never get a young goat? You know why? Simple answer. He never asked. Read the first two verses of the parable. A father had two sons, and the younger son said to the father, I want my share of the estate. And the father divided the estate between them. Boom. Just like that. Did, was he not in the room? Did he not see what just went by, down with him and his younger brother? I mean, all you had to do was ask. And some of you, that's where you are with God. You just got to ask. You keep thinking that God is supposed to read your mind and give you what you want. Get, just say it. Tell God what you're anxious about, what you're depressed about. We said this on Good Friday. Like, be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make a request known to God. And I wonder if you got a little bit of a thanksgiving in your life. You know, Pastor Guys, who was here last week, and he was talking about his friend Donovan who had passed away. And, and I love Donovan, and, he, and I, I, I admired that man greatly. And he had been here to preach. And I just, what a man of God, serving God for seven decades of life. And, and just a powerful preacher and a powerful man. And I was watching the tribute uh, of, of his life, and, and he had a, a last sermon that they recorded a couple of months before his death, and he's struggling with cancer, and he had stage four, I believe it was pancreatic cancer. I mean, he was a goner, and he knew he was a goner. And he said, you know what, I've made a decision. Years ago, I made a decision that every Thursday was going to be my Thanksgiving day. And so every Thursday in my quiet time, I gave thanks every single Thursday. And on the last one of his life, probably one of the last few remaining, he, he said he got up and had intense cancerous pain running through his body, and he got up in the morning on Thursday and remembered it was Thanksgiving Day, and he went outside, and he just started to thank God for everything in his life, all the good things. As the body was being eaten away by cancer, his gratitude raised his spirit up to a higher level, and he was filled with this joy that only God can give you in the midst of life's darkest pains. Amen. With Thanksgiving, you make your request known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all all knowledge, all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's, that's, that's how you get out of older brother syndrome. And then number three, you become an older brother when you're disconnected from your father and your family. When you're disconnected from the people that you're supposed to be connected to. Because look at how he talks about his brother. Verse 30. But when this son of yours. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's your brother. This son of yours. You, he's come home, devoured your property, and you kill the cat and fattened cat for him. What a sour spirit. Disconnected, isolated. Man, that's the devil's plan for every single one of you. 
isolation, isolation, isolation. I wonder who I'm talking to here today. And you don't go to church, or you're online. You don't go to church because you've let this present evil culture bring a wedge between you and the community of faith. Oh, the pastor doesn't like masks. Oh, the pastor's not pro-vaccine. Oh, the pastor's anti-vaccine. Oh, the pastor's anti-mask. Oh, yeah, the pastor's this, the pastor's that. Oh, the pastor says something I don't agree with. And then so you disconnect. You disconnect from the house of God because you can't agree with every single thing in my head. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't even agree with everything in my head. I don't stop going to church. I need to see your faces. I need to be with the God, God's people. I need to know you're here and I'm here. And we're not alone on this rotating rock around the sun. That there's a family that I belong to that's beyond blood. But is rooted in the blood of Jesus. Exposed to faith. Dampens your spirit, sours your soul, and isolates your life. It's not what God wants for any single one of you. And then the Father in total grace says back to the Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And he finished the sentence, he says, we had to celebrate. For your brother is, was dead and is alive. He was lost, he's found. Now I want to ask you a question, because every parable of Jesus is about Jesus. Where is Jesus in this parable? Do you know where he is? He's the true older brother. Two definitions of the older brother, you're always with me. Jesus said in John 16, 32, I am not alone for the Father is with me. And the second thing, all that I have is yours, the Father said to the Son, what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ is always with the Father and he has everything that the Father has and he's the true, listen to this sermon in a sentence, Jesus is our true older brother seeking us out, restoring us to the Father and bringing us home to the celebration of heaven. And if you've met him, it's never supposed to. It's get to. I get to know Jesus. I get to know my Father. I get to know that death is not the end. I get to know heaven. I get to know that this life with its trials and its ups and downs is not the final act in my story. And one, one glad morning when this life is over, I get to go and be with Him. I want you to stand with me bow your heads and close your eyes. Across all of our locations, would you bow your head and close your eyes for a, a moment here? As I want to invite people from all of, over the place, uh, online and here in person and in all of our locations to say yes to Jesus because this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. If you were to face God tonight, if you were to die, heaven forbid, and face God tonight, what's What's the reason why he lets you in? The only reason can be because Jesus. Because Jesus. Because Jesus. That's the only thing you'll be able to say. That's the only answer he'll accept. I'm telling you, as God is my witness, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And so today in this Easter Sunday, the best decision you can make right now is to say yes to Jesus. Right where you are with your head bowed, I want to lead you in a prayer to say yes to Jesus. You can say it quietly, but please say it with your mouth. And would you say it from your heart if that's you? You know you need to know Jesus. Repeat after me. It's a very short prayer. And it doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But it's a confession to come to Christ. So right where you are, repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent and turn to you. Have your way with me. I confess you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.